Hello guys, this is Shreya on Instagram as Shreya.LifeCoach and I am here to have authentic collaborative discussions on life and society topics, hoping the seeds of this conversation continue in your life and create a change. So let's begin. Hey guys, today we are speaking about how performing arts, specifically stand-up comedy, and mental health are related. We would think that given the positive effects of laughter therapy and how humor can help things, everything would be amazing in the life of comedians. But we also statistically now know that a lot of performing artists and in specific artists have a really tough life and they go through a lot of challenges trying to present something of beauty to the viewers. So to talk about this is here with us Arzu Malhotra. Hello. She is this multi-talented woman. She does stand-up comedy, theater. She has been writing for over four years and has performed at various festivals across North America, Asia, and Europe. Her hour-long comedy show called Unladylike, excellent, was staged in 2019 in Edinburgh Fringe. We've already had so much of candid conversation <laughs> and I'm happy to ask you to like reel it in so that we can discuss it on air and get some of it in recording. So thank you for being here and I'm so excited for our conversation today. Oh my god, thank you for having me. I'm I'm we already had such good chat. I'm so looking forward to this because I feel like you and I could chat forever. So <laughs> happy editing. But yeah, that just means we need to grab a coffee after this. Oh my god. Yeah. So right before we started recording, you were telling me how you got into comedy and you actually had planned to get a PhD and then everything changed. So I was in grad school in Edinburgh in 2016 to 17 and I was getting a master's degree in food security and I hit my 24th birthday and I've grown up loving comedy. I've grown up even as a kid I was always writing. I was always writing poems and short stories and doodling and I love the process of stories. I find them endlessly fascinating. So when I turned 24, I decided that, you know what, do the thing I've always wanted to try, try. And so with a lot of encouragement from my friends and a lot of encouragement from comedians that I actually met in Edinburgh, I got on stage. I got on stage for the first time and it was, it was a game changer because the minute I heard that first laugh, do you know that, um, that sound that train tracks make when they switch tracks, that little, yeah. I felt that with my entire life because I was like, I originally was like, I'm going to get a PhD. I'm going to become a professor. I'm going to become an academic. It's going to be great. And then when I did comedy, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do forever. I'm going to spend the rest of my life chasing laughs, chasing applause, chasing minutes of stage time, if that's what I get. Oh my God. It's the most validating, joyful experience. And I can't stop. We can do an entire other podcast about just finding your passion, right? Because there's a moment in your life where you just know, like something clicks into place. And I think everyone's looking for that, but you only really know it when you find it. And yes. it's like the train track sound. For me, it was like something like a puzzle piece just fit in place, you know, and I couldn't unsee it anymore. It was just there so blatantly in front of me that I had to follow it. And 
everything yeah. was worth it at that time. It was. And for me also, I have always been incredibly sensitive and emotional, but I've also been very creative because I think when you have emotional energy, you can channel it into constructive things or you can channel it into destructive things. And for me, having those outlets, having those spaces where I can express emotional energy, where I can channel emotional energy instead of dwelling on things, instead of going into these dark mental spirals that burn up all your energy. I think having that opportunity, having those many opportunities, that's super helpful. Definitely expressing the way you feel will lead to more constructive outcomes, right? And and building something out of it in, in the form of art. So I do abstract art groups. And the whole idea is it doesn't matter what the final result is, but just expressing it and releasing those things really help. However, how is it when you make it into a profession? Because now you're reliant on things to work out. You have to rely on that final outcome and to get better each time or to, and also to make ends meet through your art form. So it then puts a lot of pressure on the artist to constantly perform. And that can end up being a little destructive as well there's this huge number of people who burn out burn out because you're constantly chasing a trend you're putting out content even when you don't want to because you have a schedule you're doing it weekly bi-weekly every few days whatever it is that pressure to deliver well grow your audience and all of that leads to a lot of burnout you you've seen a lot of interviews you've seen a lot of videos on youtube of people being like i can't right now that stress is really there and i think And I was talking to a very good friend of mine who's a photographer and she was saying with creative people, our self-esteem and self-worth is often very tied to our output and the perceived quality of our output Mm -hmm. and our perception of, am I doing enough? Am I busy enough? Am I trying enough? Am I writing enough? Am I on stage enough? And that link is really dangerous. That is so dangerous because instead of having this intrinsic self-worth that it comes from the fact that you're just a person and you're valuable and you're enough. It comes from, it's tied too much to external things that often you don't have control over. And so that has been another challenge for me personally, because I'm, as a person, I want things. I have goals. I, I want to meet them. I'm super enthusiastic about this field and my own trajectory forward. And so this has been really hard for me. This has been, it's been a struggle for me. And I have historically reached a place where I completely drained my mental, physical health, my social life, and just allocated all the energy into art. Uh, and that's not good either. That's not helpful. Yeah, yeah. Because you're now the very medium that you actually use to get yourself through the difficult parts has become the thing that starts controlling you. And the thing is, when you don't have control of the outcome, the only thing you can place control on is yourself. And so you start like penalizing yourself when you don't feel like your self-worth and your art form are at the same level. There was a panel of stand-up comedians from India and someone asked them, you know, what's your secret recipe to the jokes that you do? And like one of the artists very honestly said, we actually don't know. We test our jokes in room. And and what you think is my recipe, actually, I don't know what my recipe is because five of my jokes will bomb and then one works and that's the one I use on stage. But no one knows of that process. And then the 
the more famous you get, you're not allowed your mistakes. It's supposed to be funny all the time, even at dinners, even at you know witty comebacks, and that that becomes an impossible mark to strive for. So it kind of takes the joy or the innocence away from the original art form that actually gives the person the edge. So it's super interesting. But that's a cause of anxiety for a lot of new comics. You see bombing as a personal failure because you're like, I did bad as opposed to my joke didn't do well. Right. So there's an attachment to the art form because it's coming from you. In my eyes and for the comedy that I do, my comedy is very much based on expressing my experience journey expressing my path and so for me I made a decision early on that I'm never going to stop doing that it's never going to start being generic observations that are disconnected from my life because the way that I connect with audience is to be honest with them and to open up myself which is why I've talked about body image I've talked about mental health I've talked about all of this stuff on stage because it's valuable for me to share that with other people. And the most amazing part is I did a joke where I'm like, give me a round of applause if you have anxiety. And people clapped. People in the room clapped. And I was like, holy moly, people can relate to this. People also have the same struggle. And it's not only validating, but I I appreciate that they accept my vulnerability. So for me, it's not about changing my art and changing what I want to talk about to chase the laughs. It's about refining it so it's funnier. Refining it so it relates to more people. Refining it so the crafting of it translates better. So I, I, in my opinion, I'm never going to stop talking about the things that I want to talk about, but it's, it's making, crafting those jokes and crafting that set in a way that's more relatable and then keeps their interest and makes them laugh. Because at the end of the day, it's about me translating the ideas that I want to have into things that people receive well. But like the most inspiring thing is, I don't know if you heard the story of Dave Chappelle and the Chappelle show. Then he got offered, I don't know, it's 50 million or 25 million to continue the show. But the caveat was he had to dial it back to make it more advertiser friendly. And he said, no. He turned down in relatively early days of his career, millions of dollars. That's such an inspiring story because he chose craft over cash. Being true to your craft, being true with what you want to do, it can work out. When someone tries to buy you out by controlling aspects of what actually make you famous, you are going to lose a lot more by giving into that control. We often give away our power in, in a lot of different forms. And to say, no, I have a choice, I think is really, really strong. And that's pretty inspiring that he did that. Ellen DeGeneres also spoke about how she came out as a lesbian gay person way before like the whole LGBTQ movement and like legalization happened. And because of that, she got canceled from her show and she lost a lot of following. Those two years were terrible, but in two years, she bounced back with a higher following from the LGBTQ community because now they supported her and the loyalty was really high. Sometimes like the truth, your own truth and your own story isn't worth telling out. And even if it's money worth, it's never worth for your life because you have one unique life that you live. 
And if you know that you're compromising it or lying about it, I think it, yeah, take a lot away. It's about your authentic connection with the audience because at the end of the day, stand-up is you being on a stage telling the jokes that you crafted about your life or your opinion or your worldview alone. It is you up there being you. And if you don't disconnect or you aren't able to disconnect that if they don't like my jokes versus if they don't like me, if they don't like my jokes would imply, all right, I keep working, I keep improving, I keep chugging along. Another gig will come and I'll make it better. Versus if they don't like me, that is a punch to the gut. That is a difficult thought to stomach. And that can come with a lot of stress. A lot of that comes down to how we wanted to carve out our life authentically and what would make us fulfilled. And when you don't stick with that, it can be super detrimental and it can make, it can poison the well and make you disinterested in the craft and make you disappointed in the craft and disappointed in yourself. It can be really hard. I mean, scientifically, the disease and the cure are closer together than we realize. So even, you know, a poisonous flower will have its antidote right next to it. I, I wonder if, you know, you spoke about the laughs, uh, when the laughs don't come, people take it personally. I wonder if that also because they got into that profession because they got validation in terms of laughs. And then when they finally get into the profession and they do those crazy hours and, you know, they they maybe don't get the same marginal utility out of each, then that can take a toll on them. But the starting point was because they needed that in the first place. When I started, my mentality was, I'm doing this for the audience. I'm doing this for them. And when I had the paradigm shift of, no, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because I love it. I'm doing it because it brings me joy. That paradigm shift made me so much happier. What was the process like to reach that? I think it was just an epiphany. But to me, 2021 is the year of balance. That is what I'm striving for right now. I want to touch a bit upon what you do talk about in terms of your mental health journey. When I talk about something that is upsetting or difficult or hard, I take the power back. Yes. When I can turn it into a joke, use that idea to express things and to make people laugh and to tell a story. To me, that's me taking charge of it. And it's an incredibly empowering as an experience. Because it allows me to, A, get perspective on it, because I have to think very deeply about how it works and where the punchlines are. But it's also like, I'm using it, it is not using me. Right. So you are finally in control of the narrative and you define what the story is and what the story is going to be as well. A hundred percent. And so like for me, if I can talk about it, I'm in the process of getting over it. That's huge. I mean, um, so I work a lot with abuse and trauma, which basically means that there's so much of silence around it and there's shame around it. And just being able to articulate it and say it out loud that this happened to me. I went through this and I'm still standing here in front of you talking about it. That kind of takes you from victim to survivor. Give me goosebumps. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. That's huge, right? Because now you're saying that, yes, I went through it. It was terrible that I had to go through that. But I'm still standing and I'm still talking about it. And the more I talk about it, it now becomes something that happened and not the, the only thing that happened. 
I struggled with body image issues a lot because I've always been a little bit curvier. But I have this joke where I'm like, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm what the youths like to call thick <laughs> with more K's than a white supremacy group. What up? And I had partners that tried to make me feel better about it and were like, nah, baby, you're not fat. You got more cushion for the pushin. <laughs> Which didn't feel good because it doesn't make me feel good to know that people like my body for the same reason they like a sofa. I'm so sorry. I want to laugh. And then I'm like, wait, is it going to be really offensive if I laugh? laugh. Well, I love that sofa joke. Like, it makes me happy. I enjoy sharing that stuff with other people because every once in a while, it's so fulfilling when one person is there and they're like, yes, same. Doing comedy has also showed me that a lot of people go through the same things. Everyone has relationship problems. Everyone has days where they feel off. Everyone has some kind of body image issue. Maybe it's not that they're fake, but maybe it's that I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too skinny. I don't like my nose. Whatever, whatever it is, being vulnerable means that some people will be put off and some people will not like to hear it. And that's nice as a performer and as a human being. It shows me that like everyone has their stuff and it's okay to have your stuff and it's okay to talk about it. So comedians are often very self-deprecating because you being like, I'm super happy. Where's the punchline? I wonder if that's how life is as well. Like if we were just happy, wouldn't we be bored? Uh, we need things to happen in our life to actually keep us growing and keep us like telling interesting stories. To me, complacency is one of the most terrifying things. Well, complacency and abandonment issues. I'm realizing we need to have a chat as coach. <laughs> I love a good chat. So you said that comedians are self-deprecating. When someone tells me, take it like a joke, something really serious reduced to a joke just because they don't want to take accountability of what has just been said. When someone's poking fun at another person and people are doing it collectively, that's not funny and it's offensive and it puts down an entire set of people. So there's an entire genre of comedy called insult comedy. And the thing about insult comedy that works and the way it works is that the person you're making fun of gets to participate in the laugh. Right. Because if it's not funny, it's bullying. Exactly. But there's also a rule of thumb for comedians that you punch up, not down. And what does that mean? So it means you punch up the power dynamic, not down. I make jokes about like pedophilia and like making fun of it. But when I do, I punch up. So I make fun of the perpetrators, not the victims. Right. You don't make fun of the people who are suffering. You make fun of the people that make them suffer. If you're doing a joke about police brutality, you're not making fun of the victims of it. Because again, if it's not funny and you're punching down, it is bullying. If the joke is really funny, and the joke doesn't make a person feel bad. I think it's fair game. It's about that execution. And it's about the frame of mind you come in with. Are you writing it from a sexist place as a sexist person? Or are you making fun of the whole concept? And you can, you can tell the difference. The reason I frame it that way is because those are the rules comedians follow. Those are absolutely the rules that other people should follow as well. Comedy, particularly for women, I think comedy is such a powerful medium. 
and this is again another whole conversation. I think we're societally conditioned to take up less space. We're societally conditioned to apologize when we speak out. We're societally conditioned to fall in line. And when you are a comic, that's not how that's the antithesis of what comedy is. You are challenging things. Comedy is one of the most powerful ways to speak truth to power because you're pushing those boundaries. You're saying things, saying real things. And I think women should try stand up and women, more women need to push through. And I think, you know what, if you look at the numbers, there's so much fewer women in stand up because I think the way we're conditioned, it dissuades us from doing something like comedy. That is that empowering. That is that brazen. That is that boundary pushing. And so for me, having that background, oh my God, that has given me a lot of strength. That's amazing because a lot of times the perpetrator is in that position. And this is the role that the victim plays, right? You play the role of a victim by letting the perpetrator be in the position of a perpetrator. The minute you take back your power and you say, you're not stronger than me, I'm in control of myself. It takes all of the power and all the joy because like perpetrators get a sadistic joy by feeling more powerful than the other. Absolutely. The, the minute you take that power back, you are now in charge. I'm in dialectic behavioral therapy right now, which is like a thing to help train you in emotional regulation. And I have, I'm an incredibly sensitive emotional person. So I need this so much. And there's a beautiful line in one of the workbooks where it says pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. And when you make yourself a victim, you are embracing the pain and you are letting yourself suffer as opposed to taking charge of that situation, taking back your control and going, no, I'm not going to let this make me suffer. I'm not going to let this drown me and overwhelm me. I will take charge of it. I am not a victim. Bad things will happen to you. Painful things will happen to you, but you are not a victim of them. That's so unhelpful to the process of healing. And that's so unhelpful for the self-esteem boost that you can get from taking accountability and bettering yourself and making progress. You are not a victim. No one is a victim. But I think to to say that this happened is also a very important step. It's the step of acceptance. And only once you accept the truth as the truth and you see things as they are, can you actually move from there. Because even when you mentioned what happened at work, I was in a similar situation years ago before I was coaching, all my seniors were female. My entire team was female and no one supported me. Because I spoke up systematically, I was penalized for it. I had brands pulled away from me. I was shown as the person who made mistakes at work, which was untrue. But the damage done here was that worse with many people who would linger, like, you know, keep his hand um, on someone's back. He's asked, his direct subordinates about their sex life and like really made them uncomfortable. He like made comments on their body. Like, so he, he did a lot of really inappropriate things. And when I flagged it, we just sent a message to the other girls that if they stand up, they will be beaten down as well. And I think this concept of learned helplessness is something that that's, that's dangerous because you know, victimizing doesn't begin at your first job. It begins when you're a child. It begins when someone might have done something to control you or take away your power when you were very little. And then when you finally are faced with a situation at work, 
you might not have the skills to speak up or you might not have the backbone or the support system that will help you show up uh, authentically but if you don't have any of that you might just compromise that's the scary part when people are shut down for speaking up for sure i also will say i'm not going to credit it all to comedy i also had a very very supportive and loving upbringing. And one of the things that I didn't understand how impactful this was until I was an adult. And I was like, holy crap, my mom is an angel. Was when I was very little, she told me, if anyone touches you in a way that you don't like, tell me and I'll believe you. And that's enough. You are enough. That was actually the premise of Unladylike as a show. So Unladylike as a concept was me talking about, I never felt Indian enough because I'm an immigrant. I never felt like enough of a desirable person because I was a little bit chubbier and I was single and I was doubting myself. I never felt like enough in so many elements of my life. And the ending of that show is I am not enough. I didn't feel like enough. And I reached a place, a very, very, very dark place with my mental health. It went from I am not enough blank, I'm not enough blank to I am not enough. And so the entire show, the entire thread of it was like I, it was called unladylike because after shows, people would come up to me and be like, so don't you think you should do jokes that are more like ladylike? Yeah, that has happened. And it comes from women. That's the bonkers part. So not being enough was a direct response or not feeling like enough was a direct response to me not feeling like I was pleasing everyone. Right. And what does not pleasing everyone translate? Self-esteem issues. Yeah. Senses of unworthiness, senses of imposter syndrome, senses where I overcompensate and the pendulum swings too far back the other direction. And so it's about like embracing that you are you, you are worthy, and you don't need to live your life meeting everyone else's expectations of who you are and what your life needs to be. Yeah. And meeting yourself where you are, right? Because if you are pleasing people because you're too scared that they leave that's a real fear and that's like that's that's big because our basic conditioning our basic needs as humans is to feel connected and to feel loved and if we don't feel those things that can take away much more than you know not having a meal it actually is such a core need that if that's the need you're trying to address then saying don't feel that or feel better is actually it's really hard because it's really hard to lift yourself out of that place when you're feeling it. Uh, but I'm so happy and like, I'm so proud of like how brave you are to share all of these stories so authentically because I am sure there's so many other women who are people who are watching the show and they're, you know, they're at the beginning stage of their journey and just watching how you've taken control of it. And, and Oh my God, I'm still on the journey. I am working on it. I am working on it, but I'm around really good people who are helping me articulate what it is I need to work on. And that's why I'm able to talk about it because I'm, I'm not there yet, but at least I know where I'm going. And it's a journey, man. It's a process. It doesn't come overnight. It doesn't come. There's no magic pill. There's no magic therapy. There's no magic moment where you're like, I'm fixed. I feel like saying I'm fixed comes from this precondition that you're broken. And that's not true. We're not broken. We're just oh. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're <laughs> going through life. We're trying to do the best that we can. And we're human. Even Buddha, he talks about life is suffering. So you have to find meaning 
through all of this suffering and find what your path is in this life. And and that's that's the journey. So you're always going to keep improving. You're always going to do a little better for yourself. And being on that path is enough. One thing I would tell anyone who's listening, like you're enough. You're good enough. You're worthy. You're you're worthy not because of anything you do, not because of your creative output, but you are intrinsically inside you because you exist, because you are a person, because you are you. You are worthy. Yes. You are worthy. And that's that's something I'm trying to learn. It's true. And Logic Arzu knows it's true. It's just the rest of me needs to adapt. You need to feel safe to feel that worthiness. Limit the sources of rejection or the things that devalue you. You know, in fact, when you feel like you have run yourself to the ground, you need to go watch comedy. (laughs) And watching a show is actually pretty therapeutic as well because laughter is meant to have so many, it releases a lot of hormones, it reduces cortisol levels, and it just kind of helps you float a little above your problems as well, right? So so it's it's complete win-win in the way the system works. For sure. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's just fun making people laugh because it's you're forging this intimacy where you're transcending if they had a bad day you're transcending their frame of mind and you're relating to it so much that you can elicit an emotional reaction in them and to me there's a magical intimacy that comes with being able to make someone laugh because it means that in a way you are understood and they are understood that's so lovely and it is beautiful and that's a beautiful way of looking at it. I love that. Do you have any closing words? Do comedy. It's so fun. Or if you don't, please come watch comedy because we need you to laugh at us to feel good about ourselves. No, oh my God. I just undermined everything I just said in that one sentence. But here <laughs> we are.